0: Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition, lift off. Look at them, madam. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry,
1: I don't know anything about it.
2: Live from the Jeff Dunham magic and ventriloquist Dummage... (laughs) Dummage...
0: your
1: entire life seen anything so beautiful i'm sorry
2: i don't know anything about stamps <laughs> live from the jeff dunham magic and ventriloquist damage story facility in detroit pennsylvania this is the award-winning stamp show here today episode number 236 brought to you by the southern nevada philatelic research center this is tom
3: this is cash, but I feel like uh, sort of uh, deja vu here.
1: Yeah, I, right, think, I think you said damage again. Yeah, <laughs>
3: damage, <laughs> dummy, and storage mushed together into one word. Anyway, this is cash.
2: This is Scott. <laughs> and this is Mark. It's vujade, Never been there. Never done that. <laughs> Tom forgot to hit the record button today. <laughs> Well, guess what? We are now on iHeartRadio.
1: And take three.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Gaz would like to state how popular we are that someone else picked us up. um, Not
3: just somebody. iHeartRadio
2: is actually a biggie. iHeartRadio is a big deal, and we are, you know. You search iHeartRadio's website for Stamp Show here today. uh, You can find us listed right below today's Wound Clinic show. (laughs) So we are off to a roaring start on (laughs) (laughs) iHeartRadio. Is Peanut going to get his own stamp? Is that why we're making Jeff Dunham up here? I think so, because we're going to be talking about dummies. Yes.
1: Yeah. More than those in the room. Aren't Aren't they...
2: Ooh. Wow. Ooh! I didn't I can, point any I, fingers yeah. at anybody else but your eyes looked a certain direction <laughs> I was looking you, to see you who sir, was looking at me you sir could be replaced by a mute button
1: <laughs> don't I know it
2: well this day in history in 1926 Harry Houdini's last performance took place at the Garrick Theater in Detroit Pennsylvania I think
3: the only one that matters
2: on this very day, ninety-two years ago, I think ninety-two years is actually the rabbit and top hat anniversary. You do? I, I think do. so. I've never heard of them, so.
3: Well, you know, the fifth year is paper. Then after that you have like ten. Oh. Ninety-two is uh, rabbit and top hat.
2: It's a magic thing. hmm I get it.
3: Well, it's a post office thing because we put out the they put out the uh, lenticular Rabbit in top hat? Lenticular. I learned that. Anyway, Uh, Harry Houdini... Please
1: unlearn it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) At any rate, Harry Houdini gave what turned out... Harry Houdini... At any rate, Harry Houdini gave what turned out to be the final performance of his life. Insisting that he could withstand any physical blows to his abdomen, he allowed a student to strike him four times. He died 9 days later.
3: Not a very good trick. Yeah, no, not not a very good trick at all. His final fatal performance. Yeah. I think that that trick like nobody was actually asking uh, how did he do it.
1: Well, cuz he didn't do it. Well, I'm a
3: magician, you know I'm a magician. And for my first trick, Poof, you're a rabbit. I will put a oh. USB cable in my computer in one try. Hmm.
1: I, and, I I like mine better. Poof, you're a rabbit. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And
0: then we get to hit you in the abdomen four times. Ra- rabbit Rabbits <laughs> don't talk.
3: <laughs> well, we could do my magic trick again. Darn, my magic trick didn't work. Everybody think of a card? Wrong. Jack of spades. That was the card. Yeah, see? One out of 52 people will think I'm amazing. The other 51 out of 52 will go, what? That's not my card. (laughs) (laughs) But that one in 52, that's what I'm banking on there.
2: Well, also on the subject of magic, dummy test and experimental stamps. Are those magic?
1: Well, that's kind of test stamps are also called dummy stamps. They're not different from test and experimental stamps. And experimental stamps is really not accurate either. They're test stamps. Now,
0: what makes, a, what makes a test stamp appear in the Scott catalog?
1: Well, the test stamps listed were produced for several reasons. One was to develop and test the production equipment, including printing presses and stamp and booklet manufacturing equipment. They were also made to design, they were used to design stamp vending equipment by private companies, adjust and promote stamp affixing equipment by commercial vendors, and test and adjust stamp vending equipment at dispensing sites like the post office and at other private companies, like maybe the drugstore or something like that. That was
3: an extremely important group of words. What does it mean?
1: Well, what it means is uh, when you want to go to the post office and buy a stamp but don't want to talk to a person, you got to talk to a machine. And the machine somehow has to give you the stamp you want. And uh, also with the stamp-affixing machines for the large mailers, they, they're not going to pay somebody to sit there and lick and stick every single stamp. They're going to do it with a machine and so they have to. Do, they use these kinds of stamps, so they don't actually have to buy stamps from the post office. And so, therefore, they either make these at their own private expense, or they have the bureau make them and finish them into uh, usable things that that resemble what the post office makes. So, um, well, you, you have- see more booklets now, but but mostly you saw coils. Well, in your office and and booklets, in in your office
3: right now, you have two stamp vending machines sitting next to your door. Yes, I do, and uh, those were one of the things that they very early started issuing test stamps for, so that. Well, actually, my the one in my office is from the
1: '60s, '50s, and '60s. Oh, I thought it was older. Oh no, Um, but yeah, it's it's for coil stamps, and they'd put coil rolls of five hundred in there, and and uh, that probably sat on the drugstore counter or something like that and you could buy the the stamps at the drugstore you wouldn't have to make a trip to the post office
3: yeah so you wouldn't uh that way when they were testing that the machine to make sure that it was calibrated correctly when they were designing a machine yeah. even they wouldn't have to burn you know a roll of three cent stamps they could burn a roll of valueless pieces of paper that resemble stamps would have the same Correct. texture and the same gum and stuff like that
1: right they would have the same separability you know, they wouldn't be too weak or too.
3: The only thing that should be different is the picture because they didn't want people actually much, using
1: them. Pretty much. Um, uh, that is true. Most of them have printed designs on them. There are some that have no design. Um, and sometimes sometimes they're in booklet form and the panes inside are just blank. A lot of times the booklet cover is printed, and it'll have different designs. Or sometimes they were just the normal post office booklet covers, but then they would be um, stamped or marked in some way as dummies uh, to indicate that they were to be used in testing.
3: Now, how is this different from specimens?
1: Specimens were overprinted, and they were provided to the Universal Postal Union and other countries as an example of what postage was valid in your country. So
3: one is a sample of the stamp, and the other one is
1: a sample of, let's is, say, the process. Is it is for testing and design of a process? Yes, it's so, not. Yeah, it had a, it was printed for the
0: specific purpose of testing. Right. So, because what was interesting to me is we had uh, some stamps come through here a little while ago, uh, made by H. L. Peckmore and Sons. And they said were postage specimen stamps, but they're really just well uh, specimen, specimens. Well, they did the same.
3: Up. They did the same thing for tube socks when they were testing those because huh? they are one of the uh, co-inventors
1: of the tube socks. Well, they still Pec-more haven't and figured something? out how to get rid of the problem of holes, <laughs> <laughs> so they must still be doing testing. Ah, um, the the Peckmores were uh, more properly classified as essays, not specimens. Right. Um because they were likely used to uh as as an example to the government to try and get a printing contract
0: yeah yeah there were there were samples, yeah, just so, like you said so you know door to door salesmen have samples you'd have these this is what we can do right. what's a
3: door to door salesman I haven't seen one of those hmm. are those yeah, something
2: I, like you from you ancient? It. It. so the no soliciting <laughs> sign is working on your door yeah <laughs>
3: Is that like before uh, the computer uh, bombarded you with uh, ads for stuff? They used to actually have to knock on your door and show you the uh, email? Well, if you wanted to, if you wanted to, if you are
0: a stamp engraver and you wanted to sell stamps to a government, say Liberia, you know, you would print out these stamps and say, this is what I can do. Oh, yeah. But they don't, sometimes they don't appear in, like the the Peckmorn sons, they don't appear in the Sky Catalog.
1: Well, that's because they never got a, a contract with a stamp that was could be associated with that design. Are the Eastins, That was a sample of their work. It wasn't. Yeah. It was. It was more properly a sample, not a specimen. Right.
3: Are the Eastons in? Because you see the Easton specimens. Like I think it says specimen on them. Eastman specimens, where uh, they show views of a uh, New York site. And it's really impressive, beautiful engraving.
1: Well, there's a few in but here, they're, but they're they're you know not
3: engraved. They're advertising things.
1: Yeah. Well, they could still be. They could also be Cinderellas. Yeah. It's like look um, what we can do. So a couple more things. Uh, Great Britain, during the 1930s, also they did the eggs. Some yeah. The eggs. Yeah, they're called poached eggs. Yeah. Because they're basically colored ovals with an aura around them. And they were, I guess they came in different colors. And uh, so they're, they're kind of popular.
3: Um, every country had test stamps because every country needed to test their the, equipment. Got the
1: Scott Catalog lists stamps from 1877, um, which are blank stamps, and that would be in the banknote period. Um, yeah, I kind of wonder what they were testing back then.
3: I don't know. Um cuz most of well, most it, of
1: the early ones are uh, coils. It, it, yeah, but this, Testing could, coil this machines. Could, would have been for probably affixing machines. Uh, yeah, it could be. Could be. Um I I know the 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 second listing here is 1886 and it says it was produced for the Hyde and Company of New York for use in their stamp affixing device. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So my guess would be that's what the the fully perforated ones were for. Um the other, uh, the other early, blank design. Uh, let's see. It says uh, in October 1907, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing received an order for 500 sheets of postage stamp paper, perforated and gummed but not printed. They were given to companies that were developing stamp vending machines for the post office. So that'd be Shermac and Malameter. What year was that? That uh, was in
0: 1907. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so it would have been ot, the private perfs guys. six through ought nine. Ought.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The oughts.
0: Mm-hmm. The ought years.
1: Right. So, um, well, in 1894, they pr- produced it. Uh, they had some that were printed on unwatermarked paper, and then the in 1907, they switched to the double-line watermark. And uh, that one, I actually found a block of nine, oh. which is kind of neat.
3: Well, again, they wanted to use the actual. It it, it serves no, no purpose to do a test on something that isn't if you're, like what you're going. If you're, to you're put not through the sourcing
1: machine. and gumming, uh, if your paper is not sourced properly, and you get a paper that's either too tough or too fragile or too thin, yeah, it's, you know, it, it's, it's going to affect the, the characteristics of what you're trying to dispense. Yeah, and so, and if it's perforated. You know, fifteen when your product is supposed to be perforated ten or twelve or eleven or whatever, uh, it's going to affect how the machine operates. Well, the machine is going to be calibrated so
3: that it needs you know to put forty-two point five pounds. Yeah, you, and all using, of a sudden you're ripping you're, the stamp in half you're because you're using, using the wrong spring paper. tensions. Yeah,
1: springs to tension the the coil, and you don't want to you don't want it to tear internally because then your machine's out of use. And you're not making money. So, um, yeah, and and you're not these, selling any machines. Some of these, uh, I see ones that are fully perforated. I see ones that have Shermac perforations. Uh, let's see. I see some that are roulette, Some that are imperforate. But it, Scott, some real quick. Some that are quick. coils. Yeah. The Shermac is
3: obviously the most popular. It's the most prolific. Pro. Oh, Talk about that because there were what four big companies and then a whole a couple more smaller well, ones. There were more than four big companies, but uh No, I think there were just four. Um Shermac US um Millimeter and Bick Bick Bickno Pickmer Pick something Brinkerhoff, Brinker, And then there were several smaller ones. Yeah. But Shermac had the lion of the market.
1: Yes. And I, I don't know that whether that was because of location, because of their marketing, because uh, their machines were easier to use and set up and maintain. I don't know why, uh, but uh, it just have, so happens that they happen to be more available in the market, let's say. Well, or maybe you, their clients yeah. just happen to be businesses that stayed in business longer. That could be it, yeah. Which would keep them in business longer. <laughs> and there's a there's a
0: marketing aspect to these test stamps as well, because, like, for example, um, uh, in uh, 1922, you've got TD-60A, which is the malometer uh, coil, and the design itself states 10,000 envelopes per hour. So they're using these test stamps as marketing
1: as well as you know, well, showing we, that
0: they work. Why not?
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're going to go out and test your machine, you're going to use something with your name on it. Right. And uh, these were not generally made available to the public, although very infrequently they did fall into private hands. So a lot of these are actually extremely rare. You notice a lot of dashes for values in the catalog. Right. And uh, a lot of uh, two- and three-figure prices. Not that the demand is super high, but it's uh, they're just that rare. Yeah, I've never actually
0: seen an album page that was not a homemade page that had test stamps on it.
1: And I don't think anybody... I, to my knowledge, nobody's made an album uh, commercially for these items because they're just too hard to find. Uh, you run across one or two here and there, and other than that, it's, it's just not uh, very common to come across them. Now, early on... Obviously, coils and and perforated sheet stamps were the thing. But then in the the late 20s, early 30s, they started producing booklet vending machines. So now you have to have test booklets. And, uh, you know, it follows follows the production all the way through until, you know, as you get into the self-adhesives and then into the ATM panes and all of that. Um, so it, you have different ones and just like the, just like regular stamps, they'll have different designs on the back. Uh, and a lot of times they'll be blank on the front.
0: And this continues into the modern era because I remember going yes. to big stamp shows where Avery Dennison will be there and they'll actually have test ATM
3: pains and stuff that they were giving out. Yeah. That was in, uh, 2000, right? Uh, maybe Washington 2006. For, oh, Yep. I remember they were handing those things out. Right. Some of them were really cool looking, too. Very,
1: mm-hmm. very good
3: designs. Well, uh,
1: the last date, I was looking, the last date of issue for ones that are listed in the catalog, um, 2005 for booklets and 2006 for coils. So um, they're probably not completely up to date. There are probably more different designs out there. But. Uh, like I said, they infrequently fall into collectors' hands. So uh, the information for more recent stuff is probably just not out there. And you know the private printers are definitely very closed, tight-lipped about any kind of information coming out of how they print things and and uh, and anything to do with their printing processes for the government. So, right. Trade um, secret. Oh, well— it isn't it isn't. I mean if mm. you work in the business obviously you're going to figure it out. Right. But um yeah but no just, just like print money the gen- for the general you know, yeah. Col- yeah. The collecting public. I mean at, at 2016 in New York I w- walked up and I talked to the Ashton Potter guys and uh, I was asking them about some error coils. The I had found some that were untagged and imperfect. Or, no they were just imperfect they weren't untagged. And uh, they wouldn't even talk to me. Hmm. Um, They'd no, can't happen. <laughs> we we would never produce those. Can't happen. And and I brought them a sample strip and I pointed to the, the to the roll that they had in gla- under glass and in a secured glass display. And uh, I showed it to them, and, was, and they they just said. They just kind of shook their heads and and wouldn't talk to me at all. Uh, Even though I provided proof right in front of their eyes. Now, were
0: these these genuine errors or were they? um, No, yeah,
1: these were genuine imperfect errors. Okay. And uh, they didn't want to have any dealings with somebody. Yeah. So they didn't want
3: to confirm or deny their existence. Yep. (laughs) Well, I just did a little research and Detroit popped back up. The Detroit Mailing and Machine Company is uh, the company that originally did the Shermac uh, perforations, and then they turned into Shermac, and then they turned into mail Yeah. So, so mail and Shermac are exactly the same company.
1: Well, at at certain point in time, <clears throat> they are.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, you'd have to look at what the date of the cancel on the stamp is. But the... Uh, they had many different trials and errors, and it looks like Shermac and Malometer uh, one became popular because they had the better equipment. Yeah. They're talking here about how uh, the other companies sort of sucked.
1: Well, yeah, that, you know, <laughs> these, these companies that were punching various patterns of holes in there as separations and it, it just didn't separate the stamps um,
3: efficiently. Well, well, actually they're talking here about speed of the envelopes and that the a millimeter could do, it says here 10,000 envelopes per hour and nobody else even came close to that. Well, that's why they survived, Right. So millimeter and Schurmaker, so prolific, popular, whatever, because of the speed of which they could uh, cram so envelopes through so the machines. One,
1: I would suspect that most people have heard of Pitney Bowes. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure Pitney Bowes grew out of a lot of that. Oh, sure. So, And they're showing some
3: uh, dummy stamps for a millimeter, and they look pretty cool. If someone were to
0: try to create a framed exhibit of these types of test stamps, would they be taken
1: seriously by judges? Well, I'm sure they Well, uh, Well, they would kind of have to be, although what category would you put them in? Also, remember that exhibiting there
3: are two basic differences. Uh, there's WSP, which is the United States American the, Philatelic yeah. Society. And then there's FIP. Which and there's, is there's FIP, yeah. Mm-hmm. FIP, I think you'd probably have some problems. WSP, they're into presentation and uh, story. They're into the treatment, so uh, WSP probably wouldn't have any problems. FIP yeah, probably would. I, I think would. WSP,
1: the American side, you would probably be able to find a place, uh, a category that would could fit your story. Mm-hmm. But I agree, the international is going to focus more on what was actually used, not was not the ancillary equipment mm-hmm. and and, and type of to material
3: to uh, repeat a person who was critical of the FIP. FIP, basically, you need to get all the best stuff and then shotgun it into a frame. WSP, you can have far less stuff, but you better tell a story.
1: It's interesting. Uh, I, when they first opened up display class of exhibiting, <laughs> I saw an exhibit on slave-related mail <clears throat> here from the Deep South. And they actually had some shackles in the the exhibit from when they were on slaves. And And
3: then they had a uh, slave in the front cleaning the uh, frame as well. No, No, I'm serious.
1: (laughs) I'm serious. They had had actual relics from slave owners as part of the exhibit to tell the story. Well, I had one. (laughs) This was, uh,
3: what, last year at Sescal. And I'm sorry, I laugh. I shouldn't. Um, A person exhibited marriage certificates with the revenue stamps on them of slaves from the South. And he got a bronze award. And everybody goes, how the hell did he only get a bronze? And uh, he didn't. (laughs) The criticism was he didn't point out how rare these were. If he would have pointed out how rare they were, he would have gotten a better award.
1: Do you really need to point that out?
3: <laughs> that's what I was thinking. That's why I laughed at it. It's like, you really need to like point out that slaves getting married and paying the revenue stamps,
1: um, that's a Well, I would not suppose the slaves thing. didn't pay the revenue stamps. I would suppose the slave owners paid the revenue stamp. Well,
3: slaves did get money. They got very, very little. But the, you know they got like an allowance so that they could go out and you know buy some stuff but generally speaking you know spending money on this stuff that was tough
0: well I could see I could see using the ephemera that connects the stamp you know to to the story in the display but I don't understand uh, the use of artifacts how you know how does that uh, I mean I could see where it advanced the story but isn't there some sort of limitation by the judges by what kind of artifacts you could use? I mean, well, you know, could you bring in
1: a Model T? Well, <laughs> you know? obviously, in this case, they didn't fit in the display case, right? <clears throat> well, they have—they have- they actually were attached to the outside of the yeah. frame and hung down in between, alongside the the uh, exhibit frame.
3: And mm. technically, if it's so hanging-
1: technically, they weren't part of the exhibit, but they were talked about in the exhibit so right you c- kind of wor- sort yeah. of were
3: they had a uh, part of the display where they had these acrylic cases and you can put stuff in the acrylic cases um that lasted a little while and then went away pretty quickly but the uh it, and again another difference between the FIP and the WSP taking for example the slave documents WFP would look at the stamps And you'd put a little note saying, um, on document, you know. And by the way, this document is a slave getting married. And the FIP judges would look at the stamp. WSP will look at the document. And that is a big difference in the treatment between the two. Now, FIP is under a lot of pressure to change the way they do stuff. But again, FIP looks at the stamp. And if it's on a... uh, Slave marriage document, you know, kudos. But you wouldn't make an entire exhibit of it. That's like my exhibit. I exhibit uh, Industrial Revolution. I would just crash and burn in WFP or FIP. And in WSP, you know, I'm gold. Because hmm. I'm wondering
0: if you can take like a, um, you know, a flat, you know, plastic video display and put that in your exhibit, it'd be the same thickness as your
3: ephemera, but you could, you know, play video.
0: I mean, that would be
3: interesting. Yeah. What would be the, what would be the limit? Well, I put on mine, you know, I have a podcast called relics of history. If anybody hasn't heard about that by now, uh, you haven't been listening to very many of the podcasts, but I have, I I have relics of history. And the second page of my exhibit says, you know, open up your smartphone, click here and you can hear my exhibit. And the judges said, very nice, very cool. Really like it. We can't give you any points for it because we only judge what is inside the frame.
0: Right. Right, and that would make sense, but I mean, if if you if you uh you could actually make an interactive frame by having a a you know, a touchscreen you know as part of it,
3: it would be interesting. It depends yeah. on how you do it, but yeah, I could see it being very cool.
0: Yeah. Maybe if you were doing something on uh I don't know, the something about the stamp paper you know showing how it's ribbed or something and you can use the touch screen to zoom in or and better see the you know see the ribbing
3: like you had a uh, you couldn't put a um Schermack or a millimeter machine inside the frame obviously right but if you could put like a thin ipad uh-huh and then show the video on it show the video of the machine working yeah because you could get a very very thin iPad that probably would fit in the the uh, frame. Yeah. Well, you yeah you can you can buy
0: the the you know the you know the screen itself, which is paper thin. Yeah. Yeah. And just stick it in there.
3: <clears throat> so it would be interesting. Uh, I'm sure that somebody will do it eventually, and then the judges will have to figure out how to address it. Right. I mean, mine is the first one that had a podcast but it is not the first one that had a reference to online stuff. Hmm. So you know the judges address it when it comes up. Unless you're with the FIP, then you just yep. look at the stamps. I'm Are we, done. We're done. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> we beat the dummies to death.
2: Well, on that note, <laughs> you have been listening to Stamp Show here today, episode number 236. This was Tom.
3: This was Cash. This was Scott. This was Mark.
2: You can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting.
3: Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.